Long History, Conquering Manila, Part 4, The Last of the Wars. Hello and welcome to an episode of Long History. Here we're covering a document called Conquering Manila. And we're on to Part 4 of a five-part series here. But this is in fact part of a pair of documents about the early colonization of the Philippines, with the previous document being called How Manila Became Spanish. And don't forget also that there's two further prequels to these documents, the first one being called The Journey to Colonize the Philippines, and the second one being The Philippines' First Spanish Colony. And these documents together cover the early colonization of the Philippines from around 1565 to 1570. Now those documents should still be available on your podcast provider, but we do have them on our website now, which is longhistory.net. That's longhistory, all one word, .net. In the previous episode, Manila was officially founded as a city by the Spanish, even though it already existed. The new task of the Spaniards, however, as they saw it, was similar to a task that took place on Cebu five years earlier. It was to pacify the local people. As the previous episode ended, the Spanish were on the verge of battling with one group of people in an upriver village called Cainta. As this episode begins, the Spanish are waiting for three days for the people of Cainta to submit. So here we go with Conquering Manila Part 4, The Last of the Wars. They called upon their heroes as witnesses of the fact saying that on the day of the battle, it would be seen that their god was better than the one worshipped by the Castilians. This latter statement was shown to be a falsehood, for God, our Lord, was vindicated, and they and their demons, whom they call gods, and worship, were proved liars. Thus, on the third day when the period set for summoning them had passed, the captain prepared his men, and leaving the galley and the three pieces of artillery in a bend in the river with sufficient men, made a detour with the rest, and, on the side where the fort appeared the weakest, they entered. As they were entering, the enemy killed two men with a very small culver in which they had, and another man they pierced through his coat of mail, and all with a lance of fire-hardened palm wood, so that there were three dead. I have already said at the beginning of this relation that the lances of palmwood are harder than iron. The fort having been entered, as I have told, the enemy made no resistance after the Spaniards were within. Whoever was able to flee to save his life fled, and of the Indians there were slain, men and women, four hundred persons. The rest who had escaped came thereupon and made terms of peace and friendship, the fort and all the bamboo thickets surrounding it were destroyed, and the people are today very humble and submissive. There were found in this fort but four culverings. Their having artillery and the source of their knowledge of casting it, I shall state in a few words, for I forgot to do so at the beginning. According to the natives of the province of Capampanga and Manila, there were two Spaniards from the first fleets which came to this land, who had been captives among them. One of these was a Fleming, the other a Viscayan, and from them they learned to cast artillery. I do not affirm this, although, as I say, the natives make this assertion. I am inclined rather to the belief 
that they have learned it from the morrows of Burney, with whom they had dealings. The fort of Kainta was destroyed, as I have related. This fort, or village, was very near a great lake of fresh water, located about four leagues from the city of Manila. It was reputed to be very large and thickly populated along the shores, but it is not one-tenth so thickly populated as they say. With regard to the lake, I shall state what it is like, for I have gone all around it afoot, and seeing gives authority. It is more than twelve leagues long and two wide, and is fresh. Its freshness is caused by the fact that a great number of streams enter it, and only two flow from it, and for this reason also it is very deep, because much water enters and there is but little outflow. The villages about this lake, containing about twenty-four or twenty-six thousand men, were pacified by the Captain Juan de Saucedo. From here the latter crossed with sixty men to the opposite coast of this island, in quest of some mines which the natives had told him were very rich and abounding in gold. The galley was left in the lake above mentioned. These mines are on the opposite coast of this island, which is the northeastern, and the natives call them the mines of Paracali. When the captain had arrived at the mines with his soldiers, who had suffered much on the march, because it was in the wet season, they found them excellent and very rich, and more than thirty or forty estados in depth. The natives were afraid and did not await the coming of the Spaniards. Some of the soldiers complained also that the captain conducted himself badly, and thus they returned having lost by death four soldiers, among whom was the sergeant Juan Ramos, newly come to this land. I believe, according to reports, that possession of these mines will be taken and the whole coast thereabout conquered, for it is a very rich land, if our Lord will it and give his divine sanction thereto, for here we are gaining little profit. I have told above how the master of camp had gone to Cebu for his wife. Arriving there, he returned with her to this city. There was a river in the province of Capampanga named Vitez, the inhabitants of which refused to be friends of the Spaniards. They were reputed to be very powerful. The master of camp had to take upon this expedition 150 soldiers and was accompanied by a native guide from the same river who was an Indian chief hostile to the natives of Vitesse. This man had come to the Spaniards with the offer to conduct them into Vitesse in perfect safety, without any danger whatever, and this he did, getting the master of camp and the 150 soldiers with him into the place. When the natives saw the Spaniards so safely within their gates and at their fort, they surrendered themselves in peace and friendship and destroyed their fort. All the other villages round about came to offer their friendship, and thus we gained possession of this stronghold, which, by reason of the reports of the natives, was regarded as somewhat dangerous. But there was no more resistance experienced from it than what I have related. With this expedition was ended the last of the wars which have been waged in this island and in that of Mindoro, the most important being written in this relation. I shall now give my attention to the treatment of certain facts with regard to the natives of this land, 
simply telling their manner of living, dressing and dealing with one another. I shall describe a few things which I have seen as to the idols worshipped by them, and shall not enlarge upon other details. In the first place, the men are of medium size and dark. They wear their hair clipped short like the Spaniards. They wear a little cloth headdress and a small piece of cloth to conceal their private parts. From the belt upward, some wear a short doublet of coarse material, with half sleeves and open in front. There is no manner of footwear. Among them, the manner of dress and ornamentation is very indecent. The women are exceedingly ugly and most indecent. They clothe themselves with a piece of cloth hanging down from the belt and a very small doublet, so that their bellies are left exposed. They can only be compared to mares, glutted with hay. They have no personality or rank whatever, and eat and drink most vulgarly. There is no difference between the chief and his slave, or between the slave and his master, in the matter of eating and drinking. As for their sacrifices, each one of the natives, so far as I have seen, has in his house many idols to whom they pray. They call God Batala, and the chief idol which they have is thus named, but others call him Diobata, at least among the Pintados they give him this name. The natives of this island usually call him Batala, and even consider him God of all creation. Accordingly, after the religious came to this land and commenced to preach the faith of Jesus Christ and to baptise, the natives have not known how to give any other name in their language to God our Lord except that of Batala. They are people easily converted to the faith, and in the short time while those religious have been in this island, they have gathered much fruit and have baptised many people, men, women and children, who have all been baptised without any chief or native Indian of this land denying our faith. Quite to the contrary, if they are questioned in regard to it and preached to about it, they say that it is very sacred and very good. Returning to the discussion of the way in which they conduct their feasts, it is as follows. When any chief is ill, he invites his kindred and orders a great meal to be prepared, consisting of fish, meat and wine. When the guests are all assembled and the feast set forth in a few plates on the ground inside the house, they seat themselves also on the ground to eat. In the midst of the feast, called Manganito or Bailan in their tongue, they put the idol called Batala and certain aged women who are considered as priestesses and some aged Indians, neither more nor less. They offer the idol some of the food which they are eating and call upon him in their tongue praying to him for the health of the sick man for whom the feast is held. The natives of these islands have no altars nor temples whatever. This manganito, or drunken revel to give it a better name, usually lasts seven or eight days. And when it is finished they take the idols and put them in the corners of the house and keep them there without showing them any reverence. As I have said, they all, from the least to the greatest, eat and drink to the point of losing their senses. In the villages nearest the sea, some do not eat pork, the reason for their not eating it, which I have already given, being that, in trading with the Moros of Burney, the latter have preached to them some part of the nefarious doctrine of Mohammed, 
charging them not to eat pork. In this they act most childishly, and when by chance any of them are asked why they do not eat it, they say that they do not know why. And if one asks them who Mahomet was and what his law commands, they say that they do not know the commandment or anything about Mahomet, not even his name, nor do they know what his law is, nor whence it came. So it's interesting when the writer of this document says that this was the last of the wars, when all that's really happened here is that a few of the villages near to Manila have for the moment acquiesced to Spanish rule. Luzon, the writer of this document doesn't seem to know, is a big island and there are many wars to be had here. However, as this episode ends, the writer has moved on from telling us about the wars in this area and is beginning to tell us a bit more about the people. Of course, it's a Spanish version of these people, which will inevitably emphasise their barbarity and their need to be converted to Christianity. The next episode will be the last for this particular document and we'll hear more about the Spaniards' description of these local people, along with a roundup of the Spanish colonial situation as the events in the document end in 1570, up to the period when this document was written in 1572. So that's all for now. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Long History. Don't forget there are three related documents about this on Long History. They should still be available on whatever podcast platform you use, but they can also be found on longhistory.net. That's long history, all one word. Please, before you move on, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast if you can. Please do share it with any like-minded people. It really helps us to promote long history. Thank you for listening to Long History's Conquering Manila, Part 4, The Last of the Wars. Goodbye.